All right, today we come to the penultimate chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. That is the next to last uh, chapter. We are one chapter away from making our way through fully this this first gospel. And this chapter, Matthew 27, I hope you've already read it. If not, pause this and go read. But this is it's essentially the beginning of the climax of the whole gospel of Matthew. Jesus is delivered up to crucifixion by the hands of lawless men. And uh, there are certainly lessons to be learned here. Let's think of about two or three of them. One, uh, God always wins. <laughs> Simple as that. God always wins. Uh, the chapter opens on a, honestly, a, a bleak note. One in um, that situation might be tempted to feel helpless. In verse 1, we read these words. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. They took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. They had been thinking about this for a long time. It's exactly what they had been plotting and scheming as they met together secretly in Caiaphas, the high priest's palace, in chapter 26. Now they had Jesus right where they wanted him. They, they, one of his own disciples had betrayed him, and now they had him in their possession. And they could now do to him whatever their sinful imaginations could imagine. And notice the confidence that they seem to have. They, with seemingly all the confident authority they needed, it says they took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. Even after he was dead and had been buried, they were still scheming to ensure that, that victory. You see that in, in uh, verses 62 through 66, um, how tightly they wanted to seal and guard the tomb that they had put him in. In their minds, the game was over. They won. Jesus lost. But I want to take this, this opportunity to remind you of a thoroughly bi biblical truth. God always wins. <laughs> Let's put these confident schemes of the Jewish leaders in their biblical perspectives. These leaders had to wait for their opportunity to act, and they no doubt rejoiced when it came. And yet, yet, when you keep reading the Scriptures and you get to Acts chapter 2, verse 23, it says that Jesus was delivered up, quote, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, end quote. What the Jewish leaders hoped that they were going to get the opportunity to do, God knew they were going to do it from all eternity. I mean, he, 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 he planned it and with complete foreknowledge. In fact... God did not just know that it was going to happen in eternity past, but the, the Scriptures actually take it a step further. Just two chapters later in Acts chapter 4, verses 27 and 28, Peter said, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do what? Verse 28, to do whatever your hand, God, and your plan had predestined to take place. In other words, not only were those Jewish leaders doing what they wanted to do, they were doing exactly what God wanted them to do. 
Isaiah had prophesied it 700 years earlier, saying of Christ in Isaiah 53.10, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. To state it differently, the leaders thought that they were winning, but in, in reality, they were doing exactly what God wanted them to do. What they meant for evil, a truth that you learned as early as Genesis, what they meant for evil, God meant for good. Uh, that's the same concept we find at the end of the book of Genesis when Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery and God had already chosen to use that as a pathway to exalt Joseph and save the people during that famine. So in the last chapter of Genesis, Joseph famously told his brothers, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Genesis 50, verse 20. So his brothers, Joseph's brothers, literally meant and intended for evil to happen. But God would not allow their evil intentions to win the day. Through those very same actions, the, the evil actions, God worked his good and perfect plan. I mean, for other examples, just read how Isaiah describes how God used the wicked Assyrians to accomplish his good purposes despite their evil intentions in Isaiah 10, verses 5 through 7. Just as he would also with Cyrus and the Persians in Isaiah 45, verse 5. God always wins. His purposes never fail. The evil king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, if you were here this past summer, we studied through the book of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar found this out the hard way and finally confessed and acknowledged that the Lord our God, quote, does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Daniel 4.35. In the words of the psalmist in Psalm 115.3, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. And he, according to Psalm 146.9, brings to ruin the ways of the wicked. So Matthew 27.1, with that in view, these men took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. How weak that sounds. <laughs> I mean, in light of that. I mean, how they felt high and mighty. They felt so confident. They felt like they had all the resources to make their will come to pass. They were so wrong. I mean, through the very evil plan that they carried out, they were merely carrying out what God had determined what would happen from all eternity for the salvation of his people. Our God is an awesome Awesome God. Well, very quickly, let me point out two more things. One is the blinding power of sin. Sin blinds us. Apart from the saving and enlightening power of the Holy Spirit, sin renders us unable to see uh, reality and to see ourselves and our actions for what they really are. It's a frightening fact, and it's on full display in Matthew 27. Notice how blinded by sin the crowds were as they were so easily persuaded to let uh, the, the, the cry of, let him be crucified, replace their earlier cry of, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And in the depths of their sinful state of mind, they even told Pontius Pilate, his blood be on us and on our children. That's verse 25. That's a chilling thing to say. Instead of calling for the blood of Jesus to be on them for salvation, they were calling for his blood to be on them for judgment. 
sin utterly blinds us. What an incomprehensibly tragic thing to say. I, I, I just pray constantly that the Lord would give us eyes to see and to see Him for who He is and to see reality as it really is and to see ourselves for who we really are because apart from His grace and His power, sin blinds us completely. But finally... Uh, foreshadows of Jesus' accomplishment on the cross. Near the end of the chapter, uh, after Jesus yielded up his spirit on the cross, Matthew tells us two rather remarkable things happened. I mean, really remarkable. One is uh, well known, Matthew twenty-seven fifty-one. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. No man could tear that curtain from top to bottom. Uh, the Lord did it. What's the significance? Well, this was the curtain that separated um, that part of the temple called the Holy of Holies, where the manifest presence of the Lord rested among his people. In the Old Covenant, only the high priest could enter that place, and that only certain times of the year. Upon the death of Jesus, the Lord, the Lord tore that curtain in two from top to bottom to symbolize the truth that um, access to his presence was now accomplished and available for all time to all his people through the death of his son. But then you get the, the, the real interesting one. Matthew also gives us a glimpse of something that would take place after his resurrection when he says uh, in verses 52 and 53, the tombs were opened <laughs> and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs, after his resurrection, they went into the holy city Jerusalem and appeared to many. What? This, is a, this was a foreshadow of how all the dead will be raised at the return of Christ because of Jesus' resurrection from the dead, 1 Thessalonians 4.16. But can you imagine being someone in Jerusalem at that time and being like, hey, is that, wait a minute, no, it looks like, wait a minute. I thought he died like five years ago. <laughs> What's going on? I mean, uh, you know, through the death of Jesus, the Lord was beginning to bring to fulfillment his plan from before the foundation of the world to save his people from their sins that we learned way back in Matthew one twenty one. And so tomorrow, as we look at this final chapter of this glorious gospel, we'll read of his glorious resurrection that declared to the world that payment for sin had been made in Full. And this is the penultimate chapter of Matthew 27.